Well, good morning. Uh, as Aaron said, my name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. I'm excited to be with you this morning, excited to share God's word with you. Uh, we are continuing in our current sermon series entitled Invested. Uh, so if you missed last week, we're doing a three-part series on generosity. Uh, next week, Daniel, Pastor Daniel is going to be talking about money, uh, what it means to be generous with our stuff. You can pray for him in that sermon. And, and this week, I'm going to be looking at what it means to be generous with our time, with ourselves. So I'm going to invite you, as is our custom here at Christ Central, to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're in Luke chapter 9. I'm going to be reading starting in verse 57, and I'm going to read all the way through chapter 10, verse 9. This is God's Word. It says, As they, the disciples and Jesus, were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever you, house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. When you ever, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We believe your word is true. And God, we ask that you would speak to us now through your word, that you would allow me to get out of your way so that you can speak to our hearts, that we might encounter you, the living God, and be transformed. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. In 1994, a large network of Chinese house churches known as the China Gospel Fellowship began collecting donations for a special missionary trip. 
And since most of the members of the fellowship lived in poverty, their giving was by nature extremely sacrificial. Many people sold their livestock, which was their livelihood. Some people even sold money they'd been saving up for a marriage, for a, a home. All kinds of sacrifices were made. And when the sufficient funds had been raised, the fellowship held a worship service at which they, inspired by this very text, commissioned 70 young evangelists to go out two by two and preach the gospel in the far provinces of China. All of the missionaries were young and single, some of them still in their teens, and each of them was given only enough money for a one-way journey. They were told to trust God to provide for their needs. I think it's fascinating what happened as a result of this journey. Six months later, all 70 of the missionaries returned home safely, having established new churches in 22 of China's 30 provinces. To this day, the church in China is one of the fastest growing gospel movements in the world. What a beautiful picture of a generous church. And not just in the traditional sense in terms of resources. I want you to think about those 70 missionaries, some still in their teens. Here's looking at you, youth group. They laid aside everything for the purpose of this journey. And the reality is many of them, most of them did not even know or probably expect to come home. They went nonetheless. They gave themselves fully to this cause they believed in, in spite of the fact that it would cost them everything. Last week, Daniel concluded his sermon with a charge, a charge to be something that we are not, a charge to become a generous church. And in light of that, my hope this morning is that we might learn from this text how to bridge the generosity gap between Christ Central Church 2019 and China Gospel Fellowship 1994. But in order to do that, we must first ask the question, what's the difference between that church and ours? What caused them to be so much more generous with their time than us? I think the answer is that China Gospel Fellowship understood far better than we do, far better than I do, that they had been sent. They understood that they had been sent. This morning, our text offers three principles that I believe are vital for us to embrace in order to become a church that is generous with our time. First, we need to embrace our sentness. Secondly, we embrace the sender. And then lastly, we embrace the sender's sentness. Embrace our sentness, we need to embrace the sender, and then lastly, embrace the sender's sentness. Let's begin. In order to become a church that is generous with our time, first and foremost, we have to embrace our sentness. This morning, I want to start by looking at chapter 10, and then at the end, we will go back and look at the final few verses, few verses of chapter 9. But here in the beginning of chapter 10, is the record of when Jesus sent out the 72. And in terms of context, if you've been reading 
through the Gospel of Luke, the first thing you would have noticed is that our text looks remarkably similar to the beginning of chapter 9. Listen to chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. It says, And he, Jesus, called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Now what's going on here? Why do we have these two parallel passages so close together with the only difference being whom Jesus sends out? I want you to look a little bit closer at the two groups of people that Jesus sends. Chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. These are the guys that Jesus has handpicked and anointed for ministry. These are professional Christians. These are the pastors. But what about this group in chapter 10? The text says that he sent out 72 others. The only defining characteristic that Luke gives us about these guys is that they were other than the apostles. We don't even get one single name, just 72 others. Now, there's an important thing to note here is that numbers in the Bible matter. There's significance in certain numbers that are repeated throughout the scriptures, and 72 is no exception. The first place we see this number is in Genesis chapter 10. It's, it's a list of all the nations of the earth that were formed after the great flood, and there's 72 of them. And it's here that this number 72 begins to take on special significance. It, significance. it begins to carry the meaning of completion, of the whole, of including everyone. And so in light of this, we can now see what Jesus is up to in Luke 10. You can see in chapter 9, Jesus sends out the clergy. But in chapter 10, recognizing what this number 72 means, Jesus is sending out everybody else, all hands on deck. No special anointing needed this time. Now, some of you may already see where this is headed, but church, you need to hear this. What Luke 10 reveals is that if you are a Christian, you have been sent. If you are a Christian, you have been sent. We see this idea not just in Luke 10, but all over the New Testament. And the Apostle Peter says this to the church that's been scattered all over the world. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, all of you a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Or maybe even better stated by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, he says, he says we, all of us, are God's workmanship, a work of art created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The point is that in order to become a church that is generous with our time, we have to recognize that all of us were handcrafted by God with a purpose in mind, with a job to do, not to self-indulge, but for good works that we might walk in them. But in order to fully embrace this sentness, these good works that God has called us to walk in, we have to understand what it means to be sent. 
And as I was processing this text this week, it, it struck me that at any given moment, I am either living as one who has been sent or I am wandering. I'm either on a mission or I'm on a self-guided tour. It's either one or the other, but it's important to note that my actions are dramatically different depending on which one it is in the moment. One who is sent, who is on mission, is focused, is directed, is dialed in. But one who is wandering lacks direction, lacks focus, is aimless. And the, the truth is, the, the famous hymn writer Robert Robinson was so right. We are all prone to wander. Amen. We're so prone, all of us, to lose sight of the mission, of what we've been sent to do. But what I love about Luke 10 is there's both a recognition of and a solution to our propensity to wander. Look again at verse 4. It says, Jesus says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Now, what's Jesus up to here? These items seem to be travel essentials, right? Would not withholding these things from your team give them a greater propensity to fail? I would think so. But think back to China Gospel Fellowship that we referenced at the beginning. It was reported that they sent out their missionaries with only enough money for a one-way journey. It's as if they stole a play out of Jesus' playbook. But why would they do that? Well, because it forced the missionaries to operate out of dependence on God. And the beautiful byproduct of being moment-by-moment moment dependent is that it's very hard to get distracted. Years ago... I was given an opportunity to go with some other ministers to Eldoret, Kenya to help launch a campus ministry at a medical college in town. And don't get me wrong, Eldoret was not the hardest place in the world to do ministry, but it was challenging. It was challenging in the sense that I was dropped into a culture that I knew complete, I was completely ignorant of. It was challenging in that I was without a lot of the first world luxuries that I often take for granted. And therefore, life in Eldoret was often a struggle. However, because of this struggle, I rarely lost sight of the mission. You see, every time I encountered something hard, I found myself turning to God. And in turning to Him, I was reminded of, of why I was there and what I was supposed to be doing. Having come back from that trip and, and, and sought to do ministry and life for God here, I often wonder why it's so much harder to be on mission here in America than it was for me when I was in Kenya. And I wonder if it's because I've brought along a money bag, a knapsack, and some sandals. There's a, there's a whole sermon right there. I'm not going to spend too much time here, but I'd, I'd love for all of us to ask this hard question in what ways is our investment in self, in our own comfort and security, distracting us from the mission, causing us to wander? And maybe even the more important question is, what would it look like to position ourselves to be more dependent upon God on a day-to-day -day basis, to ditch the money bag, the knapsack, and the sandals? I'm going to ask that those of you who are in a small group, a city group, 
spend time examining your own lives around that question and what is your money bag, knapsack, and sandals, and what would it look like to set them aside for the journey. But for now, I just want you to chew on that a little bit. So thus far, we've, we've seen from the text that all of us are sent, a royal priesthood, and that to be sent on mission is to be focused, to be in tune with what we are to do and why we are to do it, which then begs the question, what exactly are we being sent to do? What did Jesus send us out? What's the purpose? What's the mission? Look again with me at our text, starting in verse 9. Jesus says to the 72, When you go into a town, heal the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. It should be noted here again that the task that Jesus gives to the 72 is identical to the one that he gives to the 12. Once again, each and every one of us who calls ourselves a Christian, has been called to this work, not just those who get paid for it. But what is this, this work that we're called to? It's to heal the sick, preach the kingdom. It's a holistic mission. It's, it's about the whole person, amen? We're called to care for the physical bodies of those around us, to engage the felt needs of the community that we are in. But not only that, we're also called to preach, to get the word out, to inform those around us that the kingdom has come, that God's righteous rule through the person and work of Christ, the king has begun, and that all of us can be reconciled to God through him, through Christ. That's our mission, to invest our time in the people around us through word and deed. But let's unpack that a little bit. I want to flesh that out in three different spheres of your life, in the church, at work, and in your community. First, the church. What does it mean to be sent to Christ Central Church? What does it look like to come into this place, this community, with an eye to invest rather than simply be invested in? To invest your time in word and deed here. And you see what happens when we do this, the church becomes far less of a social club, far less of a place to catch up with your friends. But rather we begin to develop an eye towards the new person sitting by themselves. We begin to enter this place looking for those who are hurting, those who are lonely, those who are afraid. We might even so be so bold as to ask, what are the needs of this community that are not being met? Children's ministry, sign me up. I love diapers. The applications are obviously endless, but the transformation is, is really rather simple. We are sent into church, and our mindset becomes, how can we serve rather than what does this church and these people have to offer me? What about work? What might it look like for you to be sent into the workplace? Now, for some of you, what this means is that you might be called to vocationally invest in God's kingdom through word and deed. You might be called like the worships to go. And some of you need to hear that. Some of you are called to go and take the gospel to places where it is not present. That's what it means for you to be sent. But for the rest of you, the Bible teaches that we are actually all sent into whatever vocation that God has placed us in, whether it is labeled ministry or not. 
And I'm not talking about trying to turn every conversation in the break room into an evangelistic opportunity. That's not what it means to be called and sent into the workplace. But rather, we believe here at Christ Central that everything that we do is for the glory of God. Whether it's teaching in a local school, working in local government, building homes, collecting the garbage, caring for the sick, all of these jobs are done for the glory of God. And the way that we do that is we recognize that God has gifted us with the skills and abilities that we use at work, with the brain that we use each and every day in our vocation. Not only that, but we believe that, that what we do in our work really matters to God. He really cares about what we do. When we are sent in the workplace, we work differently. We treat our coworkers differently. We handle conflict differently. We embody the character of God and refuse to compromise morally and ethically. And we work hard to pursue excellence because we believe we are working for the God of the universe. And I, and I do want to st say here, stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, this in no way excludes you. The home is your workplace. Students, the classroom is your workplace. Those who are unable to work for various reasons, wherever you invest your time day in and day out, that is your workplace. Church, we've been sent into the workplace. What would be different in your job if you really believe that? Lastly, your community. What does it look like to be sent into your community? We preached a whole sermon series on this last fall titled Supper with Friends. And I'm not going to belabor the point too much this morning, but I, I just want to remind us and that which we already know, and it's that people around us are hurting. And we know this because we're hurting, amen? Which is why Jesus sends us out to heal the sick, to meet the felt needs of our neighbors. And we also know that the vast majority of our city needs to hear the gospel. They do not know Jesus, which is why Jesus sends us out to share the good news about him. Christ Central, do we relate to our neighbors as those to whom we've been sent by God? Do we even know our neighbors? And I'm not talking about just the people who live next to you or above you or below you but also the people that we rub shoulders with every day in the, at the mall, in the coffee shop, at the grocery store, at Chick-fil-A, wherever you spend your time. What might it look like to live as those who are sent into our community? Now, I do think it's worth stating or needed to, I need to say that in light of the weight of what we're feeling from this calling, I'm sure it feels somewhat heavy, I'm not advocating against self-care. In no way am I trying to encourage us to be a church that is go, go, go and has no balance, no healthy boundaries. We need to rest. We need to take care of ourselves because God has created us with limits. But I, but I do want to push here a little because I believe there's a big difference between rest and self-care and indulgence. And I think what Luke 10 is getting at, it's, it's an invitation for us to repurpose some of that time that we spend indulging and instead invest that in other people. So we, we now see this picture, what it looks like to be sent, but the question remains, how do we go about living into that vision? Because 
we all know that simply an awareness of what we're supposed to be doing, an awareness that we are sent will not change our hearts. It will not make us into truly generous people. So now I want to look back at chapter 9 in hopes of seeing where we might find that heart change. See, right before Jesus sends out the 72, they would have witnessed this encounter that Jesus had with these three men. Again, a little bit of context here. Jesus is walking down the road, and where he's going we will soon discover. But on his way, he's approached by three different people, all of which express a desire to follow him. And the first person says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. You name it, I'm coming. To which Jesus responds, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What's Jesus getting at here? Well, the point Jesus is making is that it's very easy to say that we want to follow Jesus, but to actually do it is very hard. As one commentator says, contrary to what most Christians believe, Jesus is saying here, I love you and I have a difficult plan for your life. Jesus is saying that to follow me is to live a life not of luxury, but of suffering service. To follow Jesus requires that we embrace a lower standard of living because it's costly. It requires that we give up much. So the message to the first person is you better count the costs. Following me is a lot harder than you think. And then as they continue down the road, the two more people appear and Contrary to the first guy, these two guys, Jesus is inviting them. He's initiating with them. And they both express some level of interest, but they have specific reasons why the timing isn't right. The first guy says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. The second guy says, let me first say farewell to those at home. And neither of these excuses suffice for Jesus but he in turn gives rather crass responses to both. He says to the first, let the dead bury their own dead. And to the second, he says, you can't look back and follow me. Now, it should be noted here that in those days, Jewish people buried their dead within 24 hours, and family members almost always stayed with the body until it was laid to rest. So we need to recognize Jesus is not asking this man to miss his father's funeral. His father is not yet passed, but, but rather the, the man is asking permission to care for his aged father until he dies. But even still, if we're honest, we're, we probably feel like Jesus is being unnecessarily harsh here. Both requests seem very reasonable. But what we're missing is that Jesus has rightly discerned that both men have failed to fully embrace him. And the key word here spoken by both men is first. First, let me go bury my father. Let me first say farewell to those at home. What Jesus is saying here is that to be a follower of me is to necessarily put me first. He demands to be the most important thing in our lives. And the hard part is, as evidenced by our text, the things that often get in the way of us following Christ, the other firsts, if you will, are not always sinful. There's nothing wrong with wanting to care for your aging parents or to say goodbye to your family before you leave for a long journey. 
But what Jesus is pointing out is that when the desire to care for family or the desire for anything other than Jesus becomes ultimate, then we have a problem. But rather, in turn, when Jesus becomes first, he is given ownership of everything, of our time, of our resources, of our whole self. As Daniel talked about last week, we become stewards. We become managers of what belongs, what doesn't belong to us in the first place. And when this happens, when Jesus calls us to go to invest our time, we jump at the invitation because our time doesn't belong to us anyway. So we have to ask the question here, and this is important for all of us, but what are the firsts in your life? What is it that causes you to say, I will follow you, Jesus, but first I need to, and you fill in the blank, what is it that you believe you so desperately need that prevents you from truly giving God ownership of your time? What is it that you feel like you need to invest in first? Then I'll follow you, Jesus. Before Jesus sent out the 72, he encouraged them to deal with their firsts. And before Jesus sends us out, he encouraged us to deal with our firsts. What first do you need to deal with that's hindering you from embracing Jesus and thereby becoming generous with your time? So as a a quick recap, we've seen from the text that we're supposed to fully embrace Christ, all of us. And then when we do that, we begin to see not only our stuff, but also our time as belonging to him. And therefore, we're empowered to live generously with our time, to give ourselves away to one another. So we need to first embrace Christ in order to be generous. But the final question remains, what motivates us to embrace Christ? Especially in light of the fact that we've just seen that to embrace Christ is to embrace suffering and hardship. Why would we do that? Brings us to our third and final point. We must... Embrace the sender's sentness. We have to embrace that the one who sends us has himself been sent. See, up until now, we have yet to discuss where Jesus was going in Luke 9 and 10. But if we look at verse 51, we find the answer. It says, when the day draws near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. I love that phrase. He set his face. What a beautiful picture of sentness, focused, determined, unwavering. Jesus knew he had a job to do, and he was dead set on getting that job done. But what was this job that, that Jesus was dead set on doing? I think Mark 10, 45 gives us the most succinct answer. It says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The reason that Christ came was to embrace the greatest suffering that ever was for you, for me. His job was to perform the most generous act of all time, to give himself away fully so that we might gain much. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says that, that though he, Jesus, was rich, rich in every sense of the word, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. That was Jesus' mission, 
to through his poverty make you rich, to through his humiliation give you honor, to through his abandonment provide you a home, to through his becoming an orphan give you a family. Why would we embrace Christ and thereby embrace a life of suffering, of sacrificial living? Well, because in Christ, the God of the universe has embraced you. And when that penny drops, true heart change happens. We become generous people. No longer is our time ours to indulge, indulge in, but now because of what God has done for us, our natural response is to give our time, ourself to him. As Paul states in Romans 12, he says, we present our bodies as living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. I love that. Our reasonable service. Because of what God has done for us, the only reasonable response is to serve him. It just makes sense to our hearts because we've been gripped by him. Therefore, we can know, and this is helpful for all of us, me included, that when we're being stingy with our time, the root cause is that in that moment, we're not experiencing, enjoying the breadth of God's love poured out on us. Because when we are, we can't help but allow that love to flow out of us to others. It's the reasonable response. In a few weeks, a movie is coming out that celebrates an important piece of Durham's history. Certainly not all of our history is worth celebrating, but this story most certainly is. The movie is called The Best of Enemies, and it's the true story of a woman who I'm so grateful to have the privilege to sit under and learn from before she passed away. Her name was Ann Atwater. She was an African-American woman who fought for the rights of children in our city. And if you watch the movie, what you will soon see is that Anne was a sent one. She was sent by God with a purpose, gripped by God's love for her, and because of that, she gave herself and her time to those around her. One of her famous quotes is this. She said, God gave me the gift to reach out and touch. You see, for Anne... It wasn't a burden to invest in others. For Anne, it was a gift, an opportunity. And our city is different because of her investment. And I, and I was hesitant to share that story and even was hesitant thinking about the story I began with of the China Gospel Fellowship because the danger is we can hear those stories and think, well, that could never be me. I could never have an impact like that. But this past week, I was watching a video about Anne, and it talked about how Anne once received the Rosa Parks Award. These were uh, an award that Rosa Parks herself selected people to receive this award. And, and in order to receive this award, this is what you were given the award for. I quote, for extraordinary acts of ordinary people. Extraordinary acts of ordinary people. I love that because it gives me such great hope for myself. It gives me hope for you. It gives me hope for Christ Central Church because isn't that exactly who we are? Ordinary people who've been called by God to invest in extraordinary ways. What might the impact be 
if a bunch of ordinary people like us committed to invest our time in extraordinary ways? I wonder how much joy we might could bring to this city and at the same time, how much happier we would be. Church Christ has given himself fully to us. Therefore, let us strive to lay aside our first to embrace him fully and follow him on this path of truly generous living. Christ Central, you have been sent. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that the things that we have seen in your word today would land in our hearts that we would recognize that we have been embraced by you, the God of the universe. And because of that, we have been empowered to embrace those around us, to invest in word and deed in this community that you've called us to, that you've placed us in. God, and I hope and pray that we might walk in those good works. I just get excited thinking about, God, what you might do in and through us if we did. May it be so. In Jesus' name.